The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So we've been talking quite a bit over the last four years, but in particular in the period leading up to the election and then since the election, when we've seen not 75 million people, as some in the House of Representatives have been claiming today, but certainly tens of millions of people fall for the false belief that the 2020 presidential election was somehow stolen from Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump was the rightful winner. It's uh, disheartening and concerning and scary that so many people have fallen for that. And in thinking about how that came to be, um, the idea of a shared psychosis is important to think about. And there's a very interesting article in Scientific American, which we're going to link to on our YouTube channel, which summarizes some of Dr. Bandy X Lee's views on what moved Donald Trump's followers to fall collectively for these delusions and to then also become violent and behave destructively, as we saw on January 6th during the Trump riot in uh, Washington, D.C. And um, the the uh, answers are widespread and there are many overlaps between what Dr. Lee says, who's been a guest on this program, by the way, uh, and what we talked about about magical thinking several weeks ago. And when Bandy Lee was asked uh, in this interview in Scientific America, American, what attracts people to Trump? Dr. Lee says that uh, there are two major emotional drives. There's narcissistic symbiosis and then there's the idea of shared psychosis. Now, narcissistic symbiosis we've sort of talked about before, and that is described as the developmental wounds that make the leader follower relationship attractive to both. The leader, Trump, is hungry for people to worship him, essentially, because he lacks self-worth. And we know this to be true. We know about Trump's relationship with his father and how uh, you know the, the relationship between Fred Trump and Donald Trump is not that different than the, the relationship we observe between Trump and his children, in particular, Don Jr., who seems also desperate for his father's adulation when Trump doesn't really seem to care that much. Uh, about his children, at least in, in the sort of traditional ways as we've seen publicly um, that we understand that that's that's something that uh, we've we've identified um, uh, relatively early. Shared psychosis is very interesting because what we are essentially talking about is a national level delusion that is plaguing tens of millions of people, again, not 75 million, not all 75 million Trump voters are, are part of this. But certainly we would look at the polls and, you know, when 60 percent of Trump voters believed up until weeks ago that it is Trump who would be inaugurated in a week, not Joe Biden. It certainly afflicts many of them. And that is, as again, referred to by Dr. Bandy Lee, the infectiousness of symptoms that go beyond group psychology. We've talked for a long time about how did those Tea Party people end up supporting in 2010 candidates who were running on policies that weren't good for them, running on low taxes for the rich, which these people were never going to be rich. We understand the group psychology aspect pretty well. Jonathan Haidt, who I've interviewed, has talked about that. We understand that. 
the uh, um, when we talk about shared psychosis, as Dr. Bandy Lee refers to it, the process is you put in an influential position somebody who is afflicted by this psychosis. Now, we don't have to guess. Does Trump believe the delusions or does he repeat them even though he doesn't believe them? It doesn't matter. The point is he repeats them and he's in a position of power. And then you can see it spread through the population through either an emotional bond that Trump's followers believe they have with him or the heightening of people already predisposed to conspiratorial thinking or paranoia or people with a propensity for violence. And that fully describes the people that ended up violently storming the Capitol last week. So let's go through again all of the different elements that exist here. You start with a group of followers of Trump that on average is more predisposed to violence. We know that we know that uh, and we know that from looking at the um, uh, brain differences essentially between reactionary right wingers and other groups. We know that there's more of a predisposition to violence there. There's more paranoia. There's more fear. There's more belief that other people are out to get you and on and on and on. So you start with that group. Now, many of those people, even though they hold those beliefs, they're not going to fall for the shared psychosis. They're not going to believe the delusions and they are not actually going to go to the Capitol and commit violent acts. But then you take that group, that larger group that just is slightly more predisposed to violence, more predisposed to conspiratorial and paranoid thinking. And then you do a two month campaign where the leader, the narcissistic leader, repeats, repeats, repeats these delusions about it was stolen and there were massive dumps of votes and uh, this happened in Pennsylvania and in Michigan, the watchers weren't allowed to see. And then in Georgia, this right, you repeat it, repeat it. You do two months to that group and you're going to take some subsection of those who are going to be infected, for lack of a better term, by these ideas that are being spread by Trump of the theft of the election. And then you get to January 6th where you have a group, broadly speaking, more predisposed to conspiratorial thinking uh, and also more predisposed to violence, not all of them willing to do it in real life. And for two months, you hammer, hammer, hammer on them. And then you start using terms like we've got to fight. And you literally say we're going to go down to Pennsylvania, down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol. Uh, and that's how you get what we got last week. And the the psychology of it is very interesting. I do think that, you know, there are some who might just write this off and say, well, OK, yeah, I mean, you're sort of uh, um, uh, psychologizing in some way um, what may or may not be an accurate psychoanalysis. But I think it can't be written off because if we don't understand it, we're going to have a very difficult time dealing with it. And by the way, merely understanding it doesn't actually tell us how to deal with it. But, uh, you know, we talked about this a few months ago or so where, you know, we I, I explained that to understand why they are willing to do these things. You have to understand that a lot of these Trump supporters believe that they are at war. They're at war against the left and the media and scientists, atheists, communists, Marxists, the Democrats who stole the election and on and on. And in a sense, they idealize violence as well. It's not just that they're predisposed to it. They idealize violence as being implicit, as implying that they are also courageous. They're willing to take the risk of going to the Capitol and being violent. And uh, when you are at war, a normal way of interacting with the world evaporates and you justify what you're doing, uh, much like you. We see militaries justify what absent 
uh, a, a theater of war would be completely absurd, immoral behavior. Lying is obviously valid if you're at war. Lying is no big deal. And what we saw on January 6th was that even property destruction, violence, storming the Capitol, insurrection, etc. Um, even that is justified when you have this belief that you're at war and you share the psychosis with the great leader. So there's a lot there. And I encourage you to check out the, the article. And what you very quickly realize is that there are self reinforcing aspects of this that make it very difficult to break people out of it. Very, very important thing to understand. One of the things we've been talking about in a sort of hypothetical sense since the riots in Washington, D.C. on January 6th is if instead of being a mostly white male conservative crowd there storming the Capitol, fighting with police, pushing police with barriers, hitting police with fire extinguishers and on and on and on, if it had been a Black Lives Matter protest, if the political orientation had been different or the racial makeup of the people there had been different, would it have been allowed to go on for as long as it did? Would it have been handled in the same way? And I think intuitively, most of us who understand the way things have gone down in the United States for the last many years can only come to the conclusion that no, it would not have been the same if the protests last week had been different groups of people in terms of their makeup or politically oriented in a different way. We don't just have to intuit our sense of that because we actually have a study about this. And Barack Obama shared this on his Twitter account recently. And the study was led was done by ACLED, A-C-L-E-D. It's a data reporting project. And it looked initially they used to look at armed conflicts in African countries. And then they started looking at the United States. And in the United States, we've had so many protests slash riots of different kinds that there's plenty of fodder and, and data to look at. And what ACLED found is that law enforcement is much more likely to try to shut down left wing protests than they are right wing protests when law enforcement uses force to shut them down. They are much more likely to use force in the left wing protests than in the right wing protests by a 51 percent to 34 percent margin. More than half the time when they decide to shut down a left wing protest, they use force only about a third of the time when they decide to shut down a right wing protest, they use force. And um, there are a, a number of different things to consider here. You might say, well, maybe the left wing protests are more violent and thus it makes sense that police are more likely to try to shut them down or to use force. That is not what the data actually shows. The data does not show that left wing protests are more violent than right wing protests. Another consideration would be where are the left wing versus the right wing protests taking place? In other words, political orientation of the protest aside, are the left wing protests happening in places whose police departments for other reasons are more likely to prevent them from going on too long, whereas the right wing protests are happening in places whose police department departments are more lax in allowing them to go on. That also does not appear to be the case. And so this is a really um, a concept. This is not a trivial thing. Uh, and and where I believe much of the investigation needs to be is in the political orientation, not just of the police officers, 
but of the police departments. And this also includes mayors. We know that law enforcement is a relatively conservative group. Uh, law enforcement in total supported Trump in 2020 at a much greater level than the average population. So, of course, there are liberal police departments and police departments with liberal police chiefs or that work under liberal mayors. There's no doubt about that. But overall, the makeup of the officers tends to be far more right wing than the average population. This also applies to the military, although we did see in 2020 that the military was more supportive of Joe Biden than they've been of, of most past Democratic candidates, at least going back a number of elections. So certainly we have to consider whether the political orientation of the officers plays a role and also if you have right wing officers but a more centrist or center left police chief and mayor. How does that affect the handling of protesters? What we know is that when we talk about the right to protest, if the left wing protests aren't more violent and we know that they are not, but yet police are more likely. Oh, and the left wing protesters are not more likely to be armed and they are not. Then we have to say, well, why is it that the left wing protests are more likely to be shut down? And is that a, is that a restriction of speech? And we've seen right wingers either misunderstand or pretend not to understand when the First Amendment is a factor. You know, Twitter suspending Trump is not a First Amendment issue. It's, it, it has nothing to do with the First Amendment. We hear all the time my First Amendment rights, my First Amendment rights, Trump's First Amendment rights when it has nothing to do with the First Amendment. But when you see a political discrepancy, in which protests are shut down along the lines of the political orientation or motivations of the protests by police under the guidance of police chiefs, city councils, mayors, etc. You really actually have to start asking questions about whether the government is suppressing speech and suppressing it along political lines. So none of this is is a catch all that explains every circumstance, but it's a very good data analysis. 538 has a write up about it. Again, the, the organization that did the analysis is ACLED, A-C-L-E-D, and we'll link to the article about it in the description on the YouTube clip for this story. Take a look at it. Let me know what you think. You can find me on Twitter at dpacman. The David Pakman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep, and it's a sponsor I'm thrilled about because I sleep on a Helix mattress at home and it's just the perfect mattress. One of the best things about Helix is you don't have to guess which mattress do I need, which one will be good for me. You take their famous sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have, and they will pair you with a mattress that will be perfect for you. I took the sleep quiz. The mattress they suggested was exactly what I needed. I often get too hot at night. The mattress keeps me cool. It's not too soft. It's not too firm. The texture is right. And I've just been getting way better sleep. You only buy a mattress every decade or so. Don't get stuck with something that's not perfect for you. And all Helix mattresses come with a 10 year warranty and they'll even come to your house and pick it up within 100 days if you don't love it. But I think you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com 
forward slash P-A-K-M-A-N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. Start your day and your new year off right with Just Egg, which is one of our sponsors. You've heard me talk about the importance of having a diet that is more heavily plant based than it's something I've done over the last few years. I've always loved eggs. So it's great that there is a delicious plant based version of egg with all the protein of egg that just egg brings with it. But it's made from mung beans, so it uses ninety eight percent less water and causes ninety three percent fewer carbon emissions than a conventional egg. And just egg cooks and tastes exactly like a conventional egg. I've tried it for omelets, scrambled eggs, French toast, banana bread, pad thai anything you'd normally use eggs for. And I actually think if I cooked something for a friend without telling them about just egg, they wouldn't even know the difference. Find it in the egg aisle at your grocery store on Amazon Prime now or on Instacart. And they also have a frozen version perfect for breakfast sandwiches. Just egg. Try it out. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Remember that our program is mostly funded by members who sign up at joinpakman.com. You can use the coupon code BETTER21, whose meaning should be pretty plain and simple and obvious at this point. BETTER21 will save you a boatload off of a membership at joinpakman.com. So, Donald Trump did something in public yesterday, leaving the White House for his first public appearance since the riotous insurrection last week. Donald Trump was heading out from the White House en route to the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas to tell predictable lies about the wall that was never built and that Mexico did not pay for. Let's get right into it. Donald Trump attempting to rewrite history, blaming other people, doing everything we would expect at this point from this deranged man. This was on his way out to Texas. So we're going to Texas. We're going to the southern border. As you know, we've completed the wall. They may want to expand it. We have the expansion underway. It's been tremendously successful, far beyond what anyone thought. We're stopping in large numbers the drugs coming into the country for many, many years and decades. We completed the wall and they may want to expand it. Hold, hold on a second. That doesn't make sense. The promise was by the end of Trump's first term, which is seven days from now, a wall across the entire U.S. Mexico border. If you did that, how would you expand it? Would you go into the water? It doesn't really make sense. And just lie after lie after uncontrollable and easily disprovable lie. Let's continue. Uh, as far as this is concerned, we want no violence, never violence. We want absolutely no violence. And on the impeachment, it's really a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in the history of politics. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. This impeachment is causing tremendous anger and you're doing it. And it's really a terrible thing that they're doing now. Of course, at this point, Trump saying never violence is silly. It's saying you work uh, only with fire extinguishers, not matches after 
you've already set fire to a house and it has burned down. And then you say, I'm a fire extinguisher guy at this point forward. Of course, I'm a fire extinguisher guy. And again, they want to put the impeachment on Democrats. Democrats are divisive for considering impeachment. Trump did the thing that is impeachable. And as usual, the party of personal responsibility taking no personal responsibility whatsoever. Never. I mean, Donald Trump is going to leave office never having taken responsibility for any of his failures. And he just continues attacking Democrats for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to continue on this path. I think it's causing tremendous danger to our country and it's causing tremendous anger. I want no violence. Thank you very much. Once again, impeachment causing anger. Recent poll. Most people want Trump removed, period. We talked about that earlier this week. The anger is over what Donald Trump did and his supporters went into last Wednesday already angry thanks to two months of lies told to them by Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Kayleigh McEnany and on and on lies telling them Joe Biden stole this election. Joe Biden didn't really win. That's why they were angry. And now to say Democrats are causing anger. Give me a break, guys. It's not even uh, it, it, it's too ridiculous to even pass the sniff test. And then that so that was Trump on his way out. Once Trump landed in Texas again, we heard from Donald Trump talking to press there, this time going after big tech. Take a listen. dividing and divisive and they're showing something that I've been predicting for a long time. I've been predicting it for a long time and people didn't act on it. But I think big tech has made a terrible mistake and very, very bad for our country. And that's leading others to do the same thing. And it causes a lot of problems and a lot of danger. So, so far, the people to blame right now are Democrats, media, big tech, Still nothing from Trump on the riotous insurrection he incited last week in terms of taking any responsibility, when in reality, that's where the primary bulk of the responsibility is. And once again, everybody but Trump is to blame. You, you might also notice that Trump glitches at the end of this next clip on the word violence. If you're watching, you'll you'll again see that spasm like thing that we've seen throughout his presidency. We, we still don't really know much about that. Uh, big mistake. They shouldn't be doing it. But uh there's always a counter move when they do that. I've never seen such anger as I see right now. And that's a terrible thing, terrible thing. And you have to always avoid violence. And we have we have tremendous support. We have support probably like nobody's ever seen before. Always have to avoid violence. And then finally, Donald Trump asked about the Capitol directly and the speech that he gave. Um, which said we're going to go down to the Capitol. And here is Donald Trump's answer. What is your role in what happened at the Capitol? What is your personal responsibility? So if you read my speech and many people have done it and I've seen it both uh, in the papers and in the media on television, uh, it's been analyzed and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. And if you look at what other people have said, politicians at a high level, about the riots during the summer, the horrible riots in Portland and Seattle and various other other places. 
That was a real problem, what they said. But they've analyzed my speech and my words and my final paragraph, my final sentence, and everybody to the T thought it was totally appropriate. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So the speech he refers to is the one where he said half an hour before the riot, let's walk down Pennsylvania Ab uh, Avenue and go to the Capitol and we're going to fight and we'll never give up and on and on and on. That's the speech he says was totally appropriate. Um, so effectively, Trump trying to rewrite history, taking no responsibility for the riot he caused while blaming Democrats and big tech for causing the danger that speech uh, that's not a speech. Those statements are extraordinarily dangerous. And Trump, of course, used the word fight or fighting nearly two dozen times during that speech that he says was fine. And he said at 1230, let's go to the Capitol. Uh, 45 minutes later, the riotous insurrection was starting. Now, in the meantime, as I told you yesterday, the risk of even more violence is huge. And so even these uh, aside from it being obviously dishonest, and completely ridiculous for the president to try to rewrite history in this way. We're also not past the point of danger. According to an FBI bulletin, we talked about this yesterday. Armed protests like the January 6th protest are, quote, being planned at all 50 state capitals starting Saturday uh, through at least January 20th. And um, uh, it, these these are tragic times. And we are almost done with Trump. We're, we're seven days away, but there is the real risk of more violence over the next week. And that's something we all need to be paying attention to as we speak. And it may already have happened by the time you listen to today's show. The House of Representatives is debating in advance of voting, and they may have already voted by the time you listen to this about the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Now, you all know if you watch the Monday show, and or the Tuesday show that I believe impeachment should not be a political calculation, but rather a responsibility, a duty that the House of Representatives has. Question one flow, very simple flow chart. Did the president do something worthy of impeachment? If the answer is yes, then you impeach. There are no other considerations because it is such an important responsibility placed on Congress. What is very interesting is that this will not be merely a partisan impeachment in the House. We are hearing from more and more Republicans that they are indeed going to vote to impeach. They may already have. Depends on when you listen to this. Uh, Congressman John Katko from New York was the first Republican to say publicly he will vote to impeach Donald Trump over his role in inciting a violent mob to storm the Capitol last week. He said he will join Democrats today when they vote to impeach Trump for willfully inciting violence against the government of the United States. We then heard from Liz Cheney from Wyoming, Republican Congresswoman and daughter of former Republican Vice President Dick Cheney. She will vote to impeach today. Then we heard from Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger that he will vote to impeach, saying uh, that um, it can what Trump did essentially cannot be ignored, period. And uh, this is starting to get very, very interesting. We also heard from Republican Congressman Fred Upton that he will vote to impeach Donald Trump. And that puts the number of Republicans that will be voting to impeach Trump at more than zero. And that's what matters. Now, ultimately, we will get uh, the full number. We I, I don't yet know what it is as of this moment. The vote is uh, p likely happening or minutes from taking place. Uh, but 
ultimately the real questions are going to be in the Senate. And we are going to talk about that in a little bit. I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there is going to be a, a real question as to whether any Republicans would be willing to vote to convict in the Senate. And we will get to that now. Um, how much praise do this, these Republicans deserve in the House for voting to impeach? Very little. That's that's the reality. The dominoes are falling and that's good. Republicans are starting to jump ship. Many of them, many are not, but many are. Um, and to me, this mostly is opportunistic uh, uh, individuals trying to save themselves. That being said, I still say keep them coming. I still think, again, people should just vote based on what happened. What happened is Donald Trump behaved in an impeachable manner and thus any vote to impeach is the correct vote and that should be welcomed. But it's a lot easier to be the second person to take a stand and second applies in a number of ways here. This is the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, we have already seen some Republicans like Mitt Romney and others distance from Donald Trump. And it's always easier when your participation is going to get less and less attention and the, the second person to jump on board gets less attention than the first. And the 10th gets less attention than the second. And that's the way it goes. And ultimately, many of these Republicans are realizing there's simply nothing to gain and everything to lose from continuing to side with a seditious president. I hate to be so cynical about this, but this is Republicans doing exactly what we predicted. They're just doing it like a week sooner than we expected. And what I mean by that is there was every indication for over a year, certainly for months. And you've heard me talk about it. Every indication that once Trump is gone, the Republican Party, both those who supported Trump and those who supported him publicly, but not privately, and those who started to distance from Trump publicly at a relatively earlier stage. This was always the plan. The plan was always when Trump is gone to do a sort of on steroids version of what they did with George W. Bush. Remember, George W. Bush did not campaign with John McCain in 2008. George W. Bush was unpopular uh, and Republicans made the calculation. It probably hurts John McCain to have George W. Bush on the campaign trail. This is like a steroids version of that, where you are going to see tons of Republicans uh, go into pretending Trump. I barely even remember that. And I certainly wasn't with it. And and going back to all of the things the Republican Party has pretended to care about for a very long time. We've got to reduce the debt and the deficit, religious freedom, lower taxes, cut business regulation, get in the way of so-called uh, government takeovers by Democrats and something. Maybe they'll call them communists and socialists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this is not a surprise at all. It's simply happening a week to two weeks before Trump leaves office. We were more leaning in the direction that it would happen once Trump is actually gone. That's it. And they deserve no praise. They don't deserve to have their uh, reputations rehabilitated. But to the extent that it's correct for them to vote to impeach, I'm with it. And after the break, we are going to talk about what's happening in the Senate, including multiple reports that Mitch McConnell is pleased with Donald Trump being impeached a second time. But what does that mean when Mitch McConnell says it? Uh, the devil is certainly in the detail. So we'll have more after the break and also on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer, I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. A lot of the shirts you see me wearing on YouTube are actually made by a company called Teddy Stratford. I love these shirts, and that's why I asked them to be a sponsor of the show. It really is the most innovative shirt you can buy because most slim fit button up shirts give you this weird stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are. You don't get that with the Teddy Stratford shirts because all of their shirts come with a patented zipper hidden beneath the buttons, which prevents the chest from stretching apart like that. But most importantly, just overall, it makes the shirt fit much better and look better. The carefully designed shirt is also cut in a way that improves the look of your upper body physique. It has a really nice, elegant, close fit that other shirts don't really give you. It also has a specially designed collar that won't fall down and lay flat, which I love. The difference all around with these shirts really is noticeable. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. Welcome back to the David Pacman show. There was very interesting breaking news last night that the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, of course, is not just a Republican, but has been one of the most pernicious Republicans to the causes of sanity and reason for a long time and has been very effective at getting endless numbers of right wing judges confirmed, successfully obstructed Barack Obama's Supreme Court nomination of Merrick Garland back in 2016. That Mitch McConnell is reportedly pleased about Donald Trump being impeached a second time. Why? Because he believes it will make it easier for the Republican Party to purge Donald Trump, to wash its hands of an association with Donald Trump. Uh, Mitch McConnell has told associates this has been reported by The New York Times and confirmed by Fox News. So take take your pick at this point. Mitch McConnell has told associates that he does believe Donald Trump committed impeachable offenses and that he is pleased that Democrats are going forward with a second impeachment of the president. He believes it will make it easier to purge Trump from the party. 
And uh, at the same time, Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, the minority leader and a big supporter of Donald Trump, has reportedly been asking other Republicans, should I call on Donald Trump to resign? And McCarthy has been personally against impeachment, and he said he and other party leaders have decided not to lobby Republicans to vote no. And an aide to McCarthy said he's open to a measure censuring Donald Trump. In private, McCarthy reached out to a leading House Democrat to see if the chamber would be willing to look at a censure vote instead of impeachment. Nancy Pelosi has since ruled that out. So this is these truly are unique times in in American political history. And when you take this together, McConnell is pleased that impeachment is moving forward. And McCarthy has been calling around saying, what about censure? We're not going to lobby for no votes on impeachment. What are we doing? Um, This reflects, depending on your perspective, a come to Jesus moment for the Republican Party or political posturing and opportunism. Now, maybe you think I'm cynical, but I think the answer is obvious. This is political opportunism. And in fact, I don't believe that McConnell is having a change of heart on uh, on Donald Trump. I believe McConnell has had the same view on Trump all along. And he said, for as long as I can get judges through and block things Democrats want to do, we'll sort of stand aside as Donald Trump does what he does here, by the way, is uh, the, the report I read you is from the New York Times. Laura Ingram on Fox News also saying they've confirmed McConnell is not going to stand in the way of impeachment and is, quote, done with Donald Trump. Further, Fox News has confirmed that while he's not said whether he supports conviction in the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, is not going to stand in the way of this impeachment effort and said to be done with Trump. Now, given all that. And that ultimately is the key. Does Mitch McConnell support conviction of Donald Trump on impeachment? Will he vote to convict when the Senate takes up this second impeachment of Donald Trump, which just minutes ago, as we've been recording here, was walked over by the House impeachment managers to the United States Senate. I don't know the answer to that. My instinct is probably not. At the same time, Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, was one of the first to resign in last week's run of uh, resignations. She was uh, Donald Trump's transportation secretary. I believe that this is nothing other than Mitch McConnell doing what he likely planned to do for a long time. Mitch McConnell has probably hated Trump for a while, but like most Republicans, he was either afraid of Trump's cult or calculating that it didn't make sense to come out against Trump to the extent that he could keep getting judges confirmed and get tax reform done and on and on and on. And so I don't think McConnell deserves any, any, any praise for this. Um, What he wants is for Nancy Pelosi's name and Democrats to be attached in public to this impeachment. And he wants to hide and figure out how he can use this to his advantage to get this mess cleaned up, the mess being the destruction that Donald Trump has brought to the Republican Party. So there is no praise here for Mitch McConnell. Complicity due to being afraid is still complicity. Complicity or indifference due to political opportunism or self aggrandizement or personal benefit. It's all just as bad. Mitch McConnell got his judges and now he wants to get rid of his old baggage and it may work. Unfortunately, there is a very short political memory in the United States 
We've already forgotten about things that happened six months ago that appeared to be really big deals at this point. And so the big narratives are what matter. And the big narrative Mitch McConnell wants is uh, I didn't stand in the way of impeachment. I, I used that second impeachment to try to wash our hands of Trump. I got my judges done. We got our Supreme Court justices. And now let's get rid of the baggage. None of them deserve to have their uh, reputations rehabilitated. I've said that a lot. And that is all that this ultimately is. And where I get to in the end is what I mentioned before. Will Mitch McConnell vote to convict in the impeachment trial of Donald Trump in the Senate? I don't know the answer. Maybe tomorrow I'll have some stronger feelings about it. There is a stunning and hilarious and pathetic and disturbing new report from The New York Times about Donald Trump threatening Mike Pence with designating him as a pussy. And that is a quote that is that is presidential speech here. Um, Mike Pence and Donald Trump had a falling out unlike any that I recall seeing between a president and vice president. Donald Trump, we knew in the days leading up to the January 6th counting of the electoral votes and what became a riotous insurrection in Washington, D.C., had been pressuring Mike Pence to do it, do it, do you know, take steal the election, figure out a way to do the right thing. And we have actually now learned that Donald Trump specifically said to Mike Pence in the lead up uh, to that uh, day early last week, quote, you can either go down in history as a patriot. Wait for it. Or you can go down in history as a pussy. Of course, Mike Pence, Mike Pence is a dangerous ideologue extremist, but he realized I can't steal the election there. I don't have the power to steal the election. Even if I wanted to steal the election, I couldn't do it. And very quickly, as it became clear, Mike Pence was not going to stand in the way. And as the riotous insurrection grew on Wednesday afternoon, Donald Trump took to Twitter before Twitter banned him and said Mike Pence couldn't do it. Mike Pence couldn't do it. They then went up until Monday without even speaking, despite the fact that Mike Pence was put in physical danger at the Capitol by the riotous insurrection that Donald Trump incited. And they reportedly had what is being sort of, uh, um, I don't even know, vaguely described as a productive meeting on Monday. Unclear what the relationship is between the two of them. So th there's a few different things going on here. You know, there one of the things we have to be really careful about and we talk about reputation um, is framing normal behavior as heroic or or virtuous, because in comparison, so many people have been behaving like absolute lunatics. And what I mean by that is Lindsey Graham is an example. We talked about this earlier in the week. Lindsey Graham on very late Wednesday, early Thursday morning last week uh, spoke during the counting of the electoral vote. And he said things that are just the way it is. Lindsey Graham said our duty is just to count the votes. Some of these objections are out of scope for the House and Senate in a joint session to really even deal with. Things went to courts and courts made decisions and he was held up as a hero for like six hours until then. He said insane things the next morning and then also the following night on Fox News. And one of the problems is that we talk about the Overton window and the value of pulling the Overton window to the left, for example, to bring the center to the left to mainstream progressive ideas. But there's another Overton window that's been 
absolutely brutalized during the last four years, and it relates to hypernormalization. When you have a two month campaign from veritable lunatics like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Josh Hawley and Lynn Wood and you know the full list of these people to insist without evidence the election was stolen, stolen, this, that, the other thing. When somebody simply says this goes beyond the limits of what we are allowed to do based on our appointments here in the House and Senate, they seem so reasonable. And people start saying these are the good Republicans. No, Lindsey was on TV the next night begging for mercy for Trump and saying impeachment would be divisive. Well, then he should have thought of that when he did something worthy of impeachment. That would have been the time to think about it before it became too late. So let's I, we're ending Donald Trump's term with something very similar to what I said at the beginning of Donald Trump's term, which is we must work hard and it's really tough to avoid the hyper normalization when so much of what we see daily is outrageous, when what we see every week would have been a one year scandal for Barack Obama had it happened then. Um, it's very difficult not to see been slightly less cartoonish, but still not benign right wing radicals as being sort of sensible. And, uh, you know, when we say Mitt Romney actually seems to be making some sense, we're not saying we agree with him politically, at least I'm not. We're not saying he's a friend of progressives. We're simply saying he has been consistent on what are the limits of the House and Senate and presidential power, et cetera. I still disagree with him on tax policy. I still disagree with him on, uh, uh, on a whole bunch of other things, but at least he's been consistent. Lindsey Graham is not that Mike Pence is not that Mike Pence was limited not by his delusions of grandeur. We don't know what he might have wanted to do. Could he have gotten away with it? He was limited by the fact that he can't actually do the thing Donald Trump was asking him to do. And it's a very important thing to remember as we get past this administration and it gets into the rearview mirror uh, and we think about it, we want to remember it for what it was. It was hard to fight the normalization while it was going on. And we have to remember that we're going to have to work just as hard to fight it in retrospect and really remember just how insane it was. We will ultimately see what happens with impeachment in the Senate. But uh, the, the it, it is at the same time extraordinary that a president denounced his own vice president. But Mike Pence deserves no praise for not doing the thing Trump asked him to do, because in the end he couldn't do it. It simply is not something that he could do. Make sure you're following us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash David Pakman show. We will take a quick break and be back with much more right after this. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. If one of your goals for the new year is to cut back on carbs and sugar, check out one of our sponsors, Monk Pack. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars fill you up and taste like your favorite sweet snacks, but they just have one gram of sugar, just two grams of net carbs at only 140 calories. They have a soft, chewy texture and they come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter and maple pecan or pecan or pecan. It's all of the above, actually. Uh, they're perfect for a quick breakfast, a snack between Zoom calls or a late night treat. Not only are they keto friendly, they're gluten free, grain free, plant based, no soy, trans fats or sugar alcohols, no artificial colors. 
And Monk Pack is so confident in their keto snacks that they back them with a hundred percent money back guarantee. Try it for yourself and you'll see how delicious these are. You'll get 20% off when you go to monkpack.com and use coupon code Pacman. That's M U N K P A C K.com. Coupon code P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. We've been following the investigation that the FBI and local law enforcement and other agencies have been doing into the riotous insurrectionists from January 6th. And over the weekend and over the last couple of days, more and more people have been getting arrested and booked. And we've seen the mugshots and we've seen all of it. But one of the questions has been, are they going to throw the book at these folks? What are the charges going to be? Is jail time, prison time likely? And we got a little bit of insight into that yesterday at a joint press conference involving the Justice Department and the FBI, where the latest data is that 170 cases have been opened um, and many folks are going to be facing some pretty serious charges of the 170 people found so far. 70 have been charged. And that's expected to grow into the hundreds. Notably, there are many who will be facing charges of sedition, which carries up to 20 years in prison. Here is video from the press conference. Take a listen. We're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy. Just yesterday, our office organized a strike force of very senior national security prosecutors and public corruption prosecutors. Their only marching orders from me are to build seditious and conspiracy charges related to the most heinous acts that occurred in the Capitol. And these are significant charges that have felonies with uh, prison terms of up to 20 years. In addition to that, we're looking and taking a priority with cases in which weapons were involved and cases in which destructive devices were involved. As people know through news reports, there were pipe bombs found outside the Capitol. The ATF is working on that. Metro Police is working on that. FBI is working on that to find that individual or individuals who planted those devices. So in addition to just those rote cases we're looking at, we're going to focus on the most significant charges as a deterrent because Regardless of if it was just a trespass in the Capitol or if someone planted a pipe bomb, you will be charged and you will be found. So there's much to discuss here. First of all, just because they are seeking certain charges or even um, filing certain charges initially tells us very little about how much prison time, if any, these individuals are going to do. And we're going to talk through that now in the background of all of this is another issue which is that the question of murder charges also needs to be considered for those involved in the deaths that took place. But we'll get to that sort of when when we come to it. I do think it's important that we temper our expectations and I'll give you an example of that. And I got a few emails from lawyers about this. My my instinct was this and then a few lawyers in the audience emailed me about it. Sedition is a very high bar to meet in a court of law. Um, and arguably for good reason, because it's an extremely serious charge. It's, it's essentially a crime against your country in a way. Um, and so I doubt we will see many sedition convictions, if any. The legal definition of sedition is is precise and we'll look at it. 
But my expectation is we're going to see people go down for lesser charges, likely still federal charges, many with some prison time associated as well. But sedition is the act of inciting revolt or violence against a lawful authority with the this is the key part with the goal of destroying or overthrowing it. This is very much like perjury. And we've talked before about how colloquially speaking, perjury takes place all the time during trials. People get up there and they say things that aren't true. And in, and, and to some degree, they know that they're not true. But proving perjury because you need to prove intent to deceive is difficult and it doesn't happen very often. Many I don't know about most. It's very common that in a murder case you have witnesses who say opposite things. And to some degree, they know that they, they are unlikely to be telling what they know to be the full truth. But you don't see perjury charges. You, you don't because it's very difficult to prove and a lot of work for prosecutors, much much like with sedition, because the goal of destroying or overthrowing the authority is part of the definition of sedition. A good lawyer and some of these people are going to have good lawyers. Many will not, but some will. A good lawyer is going to be able to defeat or at least introduce significant doubt about the intent of the actions. They will say, maybe, listen, they're on camera breaking the window or doing this or doing this in Nancy Pelosi's office or whatever the thing is. Um, but disturbing the peace, trespassing, you know, whatever. But to show intent to overthrow is going to be really tough. Now, some of these people were dumb enough to post their intentions on social media. And in those cases, it will be more difficult to overcome. But uh, the point is, uh, you know, law is weird in that way. And there are re good reasons for it in, in many cases. Um, but I think we should just be be realistic about uh, what what our expectations should be. Um, the other the other thing that sometimes will happen is that events where things are done as a group, um, you might much more easily be able to say as a group, this was seditious as a group. What this was was the attempted overthrow of an authority. But that doesn't necessarily mean you can apply that exact same intent and agency to the individual person in a court of law. And to be clear, I'm talking only what we are expecting to happen in a court of law. So the point is, Let's wait and see. But the good news so far is that the number of people uh, charged is soon to get into the hundred uh, over 100, and it really should go significantly higher. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, a Fox News host on Fox and Friends, says Democrats shouldn't pursue impeachment against Donald Trump, which is happening, by the way, because it might trigger Republicans to do more violence. <laughs> this is saying uh, let's negotiate with terrorists. That's what Brian Kilmeade is saying here. Let's take a look at the video and then we will discuss. We believe that America could be more effective and it's been ineffective because we've been at each other's throats. What could be more disenchanting? They don't want him to, to run nice? again. They right. don't want him to run again. They don't want him to run again. And that's fine. But you don't understand, too, there's a lot of people that want him to, number one, continue to be a force in the Republican Party, believe a lot what he believes. He has 75 million supporters. So if you have an overarching sense that I got to bring the country together because 
We see what's happening around this country, how 50 state houses are being threatened on Inauguration Day. This is the last thing you want to do. It astounds me right. that now Chuck Schumer, guys, is exploring a possible workaround using the authority granted to two senators back in 2004 to reconvene the Senate in times of emergency, I assume this, and have a quick impeachment vote. Fantastic idea. Mitch McConnell has to sign off on it, but it would be right. as dumb as Nancy Pelosi hopping on 60 Minutes last night and saying the, the president's an imminent threat well, and he has to be derailed. So suddenly the issue is, oh, there's been so much political infighting. That is just hilarious. But truly, Brian Kilmeade is saying negotiate with terrorists. The right thing to do is impeach. But wait. The terrorists will get violent if you do it. So don't impeach only for that reason. That's that's not his phraseology, but that's essentially what he's saying. It's the equivalent of negotiating with terrorists. These are the people Kilmeade and his cronies on Fox who are always saying you don't negotiate with, with terrorists, the people they perceive to be terrorists. If an action is correct, if an action is warranted, you do it. You don't let people threaten you with violence to get you to change your actions. But because Trumpists are likely to get violent if you impeach, you skip impeachment. What, Brian? What we're hearing from Trumpists is we will respond with violence if Democrats use a power granted to them by the Constitution. That's more of a confession than a valid political statement or argument. And what Brian Kilmeade should be saying is, you know, it would be really stupid to go be violent and riot in 50 states plus D.C. again, given how terribly that went for the country last week. And given the fact that you'd be rioting over the lies that Trump has been telling you, which have no merit, 50 or more court cases have found that the lies that got you to riot have no merit whatsoever. So it, it's we, we've seen so much hypocrisy over the last week. And I know that hypocrisy doesn't matter to the American right anymore. I know we I've been here the last four years as much as you have to the extent that you've been here. If there's any three year olds in the audience, then I, I take it back. Um, we saw this with business regulation over the last week for 40 years. I even had a tweet that I should have uh, I should have pulled up here. Um, for the last 40 years, I wrote, um, it's been deregulate everything from Republicans, let businesses do whatever they want, don't enforce antitrust, get government out of business and the people's lives. And then all of a sudden, Republicans on January 8th regulate social media, monitor big tech, break up monopolies create new laws to control business, tell businesses exactly what to do and when they can ban someone and not ban someone and blah, blah, blah. And now the we will never negotiate with terrorist crowd is saying, I don't know, guys, aside from whether impeachment is correct, it'll make Trumpists be violent again. So you shouldn't do it. No, Trump is the one who should have thought of that before he incited a riot on the tail end of two months of telling people lies that they fell for about the election. That's where the responsibility is, period. And if Brian Kilmeade really wanted to do something good for the country, he would say to his audience, guys, whatever happens with impeachment, whatever happens with the 25th Amendment, don't riot. Don't riot because you're rioting over something that is fake. Trump has lied to you. You've been tricked. You've been bamboozled. You've been deceived. Don't go and riot. 
that's not something I expect to hear Brian Kilmeade say uh, anytime soon. One question that's been coming up more and more is could or would Donald Trump pardon the Capitol Hill rioters? I got a voicemail about that. If you want to leave me a voicemail, you can do so at two one nine two David P. Here is a voicemail about the pardons. David, although highly unlikely, do you believe that Trump could pardon the criminals of the recent uh, siege on the Capitol because, you know, they're patriots? Right. And uh, he's the law and order president. Question. So certainly Trump could do it, but he would need to know who they are. And it's going to be a long process. I'm expecting it to take beyond Donald Trump's uh, last day in office, January 20th, to figure out who all the folks are. Uh, And even if they figure out who most of the folks are, figuring out what charges are going to be filed. So I think in practical terms, Donald Trump's not going to be able to do it. I did, did hear from a lot of people who said they should actually slow play the investigation specifically to prevent Trump from being able to pardon them. So Trump could do it. I think logistically there will be challenges because we're not going to know uh, all of the charges for a period of time. But bigger picture than that, Trump is worried about himself. You have to remember, Trump doesn't care about these people. The people that support Trump mostly are people Trump has spent his life of privilege trying to get away from. You know, Trump talks about the boaters in the intercoastal in Florida. He talks about the uh, uh, coal workers in West Virginia or whatever. Trump has spent a life having people uh, keep him away from what he considers to be that kind of riffraff. And so Trump doesn't care about these people. And in fact, there are reports which are sort of sad and also funny just because of it exposes the things Trump thinks about. Trump was reportedly displeased that the rioters last week looked low class. If you can imagine, Trump wanted the he would have preferred the people rioting I guess to to all have flown in on private jets and only a couple of them actually did. So Trump doesn't care about these people at all. If he thought it was politically advantageous, he might try to 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 pardon them. But he's leaving office. It's over. And so Trump's concerns are, am I going to pardon myself and would it hold up legally? And he's been advised by some folks around him not to pardon himself. And is he going to pardon his children and his son in law and Rudy Giuliani and whoever else? That's what Trump is concerned with. And uh, I am expecting we will see some really wacky pardons in the last seven days. But I have no expectation that Donald Trump is actually going to try to pardon those people because he doesn't care about the rioters. And in fact, he didn't like their appearance. He thought that they, they seemed too lowbrow. We have a great bonus show for you today. Another member of Congress is now positive after sheltering in place at the Capitol during the riotous insurrection. Many Republicans refuse to wear masks during that period of time. We will also talk about the future of coronavirus. Coronavirus not expected to go away even after everybody's vaccinated, but its impact is going to be lessened dramatically. And we will talk about why. And more riot firings continue, more companies deciding, whoa, you were involved with the violence in D.C. on January 6th. This is not the right place for you to work. You're gone. So we will talk about that on the bonus show as well. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. I'll see you then.